Okay, so I guess we're live now because Carly tried to sneak up on me, but I got ahead of her a little bit this time. Um, uh, so we're recording our program for this Saturday, Las Vegas Real Estate Now. It'll be on KDWN at 11 a.m. this Saturday. That's 101.5 FM. The good news I got from KD from KDON uh, this, yesterday was that they're going to open 7.20 a.m. back up again. We're going to go back to bo- doing both simultaneously, 101.5 FM and 7.20 a.m. So you'll be able to hear us either way. I don't know who, who uses a.m. anymore. Does anybody use a.m.? Do you? My my stepmother-in-law's dad does. He listens to you every Saturday. On AM, okay. I didn't, you know, I didn't think anybody, I mean, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day, we didn't have a choice. Matthew, remember when we didn't, FM was like a, this, this dream, you know. It was just AM, you know, and we'd listen to ball games. We'd listen to ball games on AM radio all the time. Until last week, I didn't know I had a radio in my car. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, good. All right, so uh, and that who you just heard talking was Matthew Cobb. We're going to talk to Matthew, too, today. Uh, Matthew's our guest, uh, first-time guest, uh, and I'm excited to have him on the program. He's an outstanding teacher here locally. He teaches real estate, and he's also a broker. So um, we're going to talk about our market. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, so meanwhile, I, guess, I think we should just get started. Let's just start the program. Here we go. We're going to segment one right away. <clears throat> Turn my volume down on the phone. Here we go. <coughs> Welcome to our show. This is Las Vegas Real Estate Now, where we bring you the three E's, educate, empower, and engage. We want to help you to make your real estate decisions wise ones for you and your family. I'm your host, Harvey Blankfeld of the Blankfeld Group at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, and we have over a century of collective real estate experience. I'm a licensed agent here in Nevada. My NRED number is S.00488897. On this program, we're dedicated to delivering timely, balanced truths about local market conditions. If you ever have a question or an idea for the program, please call or text me at 702-203-1165. Again, that's 702-203-1165. With me now in studio... Uh, we have Matthew Kalb. Uh, he's with CE by Matthew. He offers uh, uh, real estate classes for those local uh, agents here. Uh, Matthew, first of all, welcome. Thank you, Harvey. Good to be spending the afternoon with you. Glad to have you here, Matthew. Let me ask you, what, since I did my license number, maybe you should read yours too. Do you have a license number here in Nevada? Do you have? Are you allowed to sell real estate here in Nevada? I am allowed to sell real estate, <laughs> yes, indeed. And what's your, bro- what's your number? So, broker... Six one six nine six. There you go. Six one six nine six. Very good. So we've got that out of the way. Now we can just talk real estate, my friend. Okay. So uh, a couple of topics I wanted to run by you today. First of all, the, you know, there's there's lots of uh, national legislation coming, or not legislation. National lawsuits are happening right now that are to maybe affect our relationship with buyers. Um, you you really think it's important for us to start to respect buyers as much as we do sellers, and I think that's a great point. Let's talk about that a little bit. What do you think? What's the difference between dealing with a buyer and a seller when it comes to being a real estate agent? So, Harvey, I tell you, that is a topic that we spend uh, countless time on in class. When we break it down, we we start with the basics. I, I begin with talk to me on how you do your business when you are taking a listing. Everything is done in writing. The sellers are demanding that you give them paperwork they sign before they turn over their keys. And yet, when it comes to working with buyers, we should be respecting the fact that they are going to be clients. They demand us. They demand for us to do the right thing for mm-hmm. them. And yet, many agents out there, they're like, I'm going to pick you up at 2 o'clock. We're going to look at 22 houses today. Right. And let's not worry about the paperwork or 
let that get in the way. When you say many realtors, I'm going to say almost all realtors are like that right now. But I think that's going to have to change going forward, don't you? There is a shift out there. And I can tell you, the more I hit on this topic, unless folks just want to appease me in class, right. maybe there is a degree of that, <laughs> but there seems to be a sincere willingness to shift and start to respect the uh, the buyer. Yeah. Now I think that, uh, you know, when I, when I went to real estate school, some years ago, the, um, uh, that was a long time ago, by the way. Um, they, then they were talking about the idea that we should be implementing a buyer broker agreement. And, and yet to this day, I can tell you that I, I would say less than 1% of buyers are out there are, are dealing with a buyer broker agreement, but because of this recent lawsuit and some of the other national headlines that we're reading, I think it's not only uh, you know important to consider it's it's almost necessary to start doing it and I think the resistance has always been well gee I'm afraid to scare my buyer off cuz no one else is asking them to do that that's and the rationale was gee you know they may not want to sign with me cuz they don't have to sign with those guys and I think if you make it more uh, more of a policy that everyone starts doing it then it becomes more acceptable and also becomes very useful too doesn't it? Absolutely. In fact, we we shouldn't look at that as mistrust and I want to protect my commission. Right. It's putting it in writing what I am going to do for the buyer, there just you go. like we put it in writing what we are going to do for the seller. Mm-hmm. And so, so important to respect that. I think that's a great way to put it, Matthew. I, you know, when we think about when we think about the buyer, that's that's what the buyer we're we're anticipating what they're how they're going to look at this. Well, you're just trying to protect your commission. No, the truth is, is I'm going to commit time, money, and effort to help you find the right home and help you negotiate the best possible deal. And if I don't have a contract in place, there's no guarantee that you're going to use me. I, I so I understand that, but you need if you want a commitment from me, I think I need a commitment from you as a client, and and I think it's a fair trade. Absolutely. Putting it in writing, letting folks know what it is I'm going to do for you. Mm-hmm. And I think what's so important is that we take the time to truly listen to the buyer. Uh, what is their time frame for right. needing to be in a property? Not just they're looking to date us and we're looking to marry them. And, that's, <laughs> and that becomes a problem. Right yeah, that's a great point. That's, and that's an interesting perspective and a way to put it. I think you're, you're exactly right. I mean, um, you know, as a guy who's been doing this for a long time, I know for me, whenever I do a transaction with somebody, they're my client. That's, I mean, f- not just for that transaction, but ideally forever. And I'm going to be reaching out to them and reminding them that I'm still doing this. And I, and I hope that next time that they decide they want to do anything real estate related, they're going to reach back to me with buyers. Maybe they don't feel that sense of commitment because there was no paperwork in advance. It's just the contract. And then there's a duties owed, which the state does, but that's not a commitment. The duties owed is really just a disclosure saying, my legal obligations to you as a client. Um, but when we talk about a buyer broker, I mean, a bu- typical buyer broker agreement would basically say to a buyer, and correct me where you, th- where you think I might be missing this, would, would, would basically say to a buyer, for this period of time, for a specific period of time, I will assist you and help you find the right home and negotiate a deal for you. And as a result of that, you're going to guarantee me a certain percentage of that deal as a commission. Now, the vast majority of the time these days, that commission is actually paid by the seller. Although that's coming in question, too. Uh, that's going to become another issue for us down the road, don't you think? So when we talk about the buyer-broker agreement and who ends up paying the commission, so uh, I'm always saying to the students, hey, 
start saying that the commission is actually being paid for by the listing broker, can you make a case to trace back the funds to the seller? Sure. Right. But in essence, it really is, it's a listing broker to selling broker. I could make a case that the funds are coming from the buyer because the buyer's writing the check at closing. They're paying for the property. They're the ones paying, you know, a lot of these costs. And the seller's getting those funds and turning them into their costs. So you could really theoretically trace this right back to the buyer uh, as they're the ones bringing, bringing cash to the table. The seller's um, really just pulling out of their proceeds, perhaps. But those proceeds are coming from the, <laughs> coming from the buyer. You need a buyer as much as you need a seller <laughs> to yep. have a happy ending for everybody in the transaction and so, so important. Yep. If we took the time to dial back the way our industry used to work, yeah. once upon a time, we only ever represented the seller. That's right. We either took the listing or we, if we brought a buyer there, we never represented them as a client Mm-mm. of of the brokerage firm. Right. We were sub-agents of the seller. Right. And in the 1980s, this movement of disgruntled uh, buyers began to uh, yeah. take hold, and, and they demanded to be treated like clients. And that's when our industry changed in the early 90s, essentially. I think that's a great way to put it, and a great way to look at the historical elements of how buyer brokerage came about, because you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and buyers did get taken advantage of in the sense that they didn't have that person with a fiduciary responsibility to them. The, the responsibility fell to the, to the seller as an agent. And so, yeah, there was always that challenge. And so now that's being challenged in the sense that this lawsuit's basically saying that, you know, that the buyer's agents are being paid by sellers, you know, and it's, and, and sellers are being forced to pay quote unquote, the, buyers agents and that's you know i have i have issues with all of that that's i don't i don't agree with that statement at all but ultimately it's challenging the way we've the structure that we've built in place that's really supported the idea of home ownership first for first time home buyers because if you if you turn around and say okay i want the buyers to pay their own brokers you've just increased their outlay their cash outlay because they can't put in the financing and that just limits their buying ability you just basically limited their buying ability and of course, if you're a good agent, you can you can look at the other side and say, even if it does cost you some for the representation, let me try to negotiate that on right. the other side. Yeah, credit towards your closing costs. Right, a uh, little bit better on the purchase price, and somebody that sees the value there would say, okay, let's let's. Yeah, together. that's a great point. Hey, we're coming up on a break. We're going to run a couple quick commercials and come back. we got a lot more to talk about, so stay tuned. We'll be back in just a minute. Excellent, Matthew. Excellent. Matthew, can we please scoot this way a little bit just so the mic isn't, like, right in front of your face? Or can we move the eye? You mean to move the mic over here? If that works for you. That's Sorry. perfect. Perfect. Yep. But you're, good? But you got to scooch up and get oh. closer to the mic. How's that? Just come this Better. way a little bit. You're perfect. There you go. You okay. still want it, like, right in your face. Okay. Perfect. I'm going to put it, I'm gonna put it closer to him still. It's heavy. Yeah. Right there. Okay, good. good. Yeah, no, that's good. the mic nope. is exactly in this. Oh, oh. Well, you want the mic over yes, here? Yes, yes, So that way it's just I'm not blocking his face for the video. Move your stuff over here. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and that's then I'll, I'll slide the mic over to the right a little Thank bit. Thank you. There you go. So just so you can get to your stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then we'll turn, we'll turn it around like that. Okay. How's that? Very good. Can you see everything okay? Yep. You can move your little thing over there if you want. That's fine. Whichever's, whatever works for you. 
this now the mic just fell down a lot. Oh, hang on, let me fix it. How's that? Good. Okay. When we get our new studio, I'm I'm probably going to like have these mics permanently mounted in oh, the yeah. in the table so we don't have to mess with this stuff so much. <coughs> It'll be a little easier to manipulate them. Just so you know, I'm trying to do my best not to touch the stuff. <laughs> okay, yeah. No. Why did yeah. you do that? Yeah. Well, we, we, when we used to go into the studio, and we used to go to K-Don all the time and, and record there, but then when COVID hit, they said, hard, we can't have you in the studio. That's when I built this thing. That's when mm-hmm. we created it here. Oh, really? And it's worked out very well, actually, because now we don't have to go to the studio anymore. We can just do it all here. Cool. But when we used to go to the studio, you know, we always bring our waters and we bring this. And I remember that one day they said, hey, you can't bring your waters in anymore because apparently one of the guests had, like, dumped water all over, yeah. <laughs> all over oh, the board. Wow. It was really bad. Uh, all right, so here we go. Segment two. Welcome back. I'm Harvey Blankfeld. You're listening to Las Vegas Real Estate Now. We're here every Saturday at 11 a.m. You ever have a question or an idea for the program, please call or text me at 702-203-1165. Again, that's 702-203-1165. With me now in studio, we have Matthew Kalb. Uh, he's with CE by Matthew. And what he does is he has a he offers CE classes to, to uh, licensed agents here in, in Nevada. And he has a website, CE by Matthew. If you ever want to uh, learn, if you... You know, you're listening to Matthew. This guy sounds pretty smart. Maybe I ought to learn from him a little bit. Uh, You want to find out more about, just text Matthew to 702-203-1165. I'll put you in touch with him, and he'll get you hooked up with some classes. He has this wonderful thing with a combination of classes, right, Matthew, where you can can cover those, the the required elements of our renewal. There's those. We call them the core classes. The the core classes. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so he has a package where you can cover all your core classes. And you know what? I may take him up on that because I'm, I just renewed in April, so I'm, I'm probably, I like to get a little ahead. I don't like to wait to the last minute to knock out all my C in one, <laughs> in one month. Um, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll sign up and get you, get you, uh, get you to teach me some of that stuff. Um, meanwhile, we were talking about buyers and how we need to treat them just as respectfully as we do sellers. And I think that's a great point. And as we were talking about the idea that this lawsuit may challenge the way we deal with sellers and, and, and cooperative commissions and things of that nature, I think it's important to point out to, to everybody out there, it's, and I think it's just really important to understand, that the way the system has evolved, it has evolved in a way to make it a little easier for buyers to buy a home. And sellers might say, well, you're forcing me to pay a buyer's broker. Well, nobody's forcing you. All, all commissions are negotiable. That that's a tenet of what we do. All the all, and every time we talk, even when we're talking to each other, and we and they say, well, what do you charge? Well, it's negotiable. But you know, nor, you know, I might charge this. I might charge this. So we all we all talk about the fact fact that commissions are negotiable. We can't we can't fix commissions. We're not allowed to do that. That's against the law. We understand that. But when you talk with a seller now, and if you come up with the idea of saying, hey, Mister Mister Seller, you you don't have to pay a, a cooperative commission. You you have a choice here. But let me tell you why you might want to. And here's why you might want to. Because if you basically take away that cooperative commission, now the buyer either decides to come to the table unrepresented, which will bog us down, and that's going to be a problem. Or if they come represented, they don't have to pay their own agent out of their own pocket, which diminishes their available cash to buy your home. So that's why you might do this. Plus, oh, by the way, Mr. Mrs. Seller, did you know? Did you think about this? The buyer now knows that you're not paying that extra 
commission, that two and a half or two or three percent or four percent or whatever it is, you're not paying that to my agent. So I want that reduced from the price. That's the buyers aren't going to be foolish enough to think that, oh, the seller can't get the whole benefit of this. I want some of that, too. So, Mr. Mrs. Seller, consider that as you're thinking about whether or not you want to continue to offer a cooperative. Does that make sense, Matthew? So when I when I sell the buyer broker representation, mm-hmm. first off, I I piggyback off of the time that I've been in the industry, coming up on forty years. I I know I don't quite look it, but trust not at me, all. I I look like maybe I just got out of the Marines, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I, in twenty twenty four I am hitting the fortieth year in two states. As, Congratulations, um, that's amazing. Since in the industry, so. I think it's important to focus on what all we do for that buyer. We're, you know, it's not just about, uh, you know, the the number of we call it the bananas that they're going to pay because, right. like you say, it is it is negotiable. So right. we don't want to put it out there that we're we're all striving for a certain number. Right. Uh, some of us are okay with one banana, and some need three, four, five bananas, or right. six bananas, whatever right. it is. And at the end of the day, I think we have to keep the focus on doing right for our client. I have never had to present a buyer with an invoice at the closing table in almost 40 years. Nice. And I always give them the option before I obligate them, hey, that one property you pointed to, I can take you there. However, unfortunately, they're just not paying any bananas today. Right. Uh, if I do take it, then you're looking at some bananas. We can try to negotiate that for you in the right. overall deal. Or if you prefer to pass, we can do that too. Right. So right. market conditions are generally going to dictate how most folks want that to play out. I, I think that's a great way to point to point out the effect that, this is, that, that, that a buyer brokerage agreement has on a transaction. But I think it's... I, you know, look, one of the first things they teach us in real estate school, it doesn't count if it isn't in writing. It just doesn't count. Everything we say verbally, everything we say on this radio show doesn't really count. But even in a transaction, we, we, we may talk or negotiate verbally, but it doesn't count until it's put down on paper and signed by all parties. And so why shouldn't we be doing the same thing with our relationship with buyers that we are with sellers? I think you make an outstanding point. And, and, and it's likely coming to a point now where we're going to end up seeing a lot more realtors do it that way. And I think that's a good thing. I think that really is a good thing. And I think it will probably, look, you know, I think it will probably let the cream rise to the top, you know, in terms of the quality of of representation you're going to see out there. I, I hope so. I think our next legislative session in 2025 is going to change things big time. Oh. For our industry. Mm. And I think those agents that are already embracing the buyer broker agreement will be ahead of the game and those who uh, <coughs> haven't seen the value will be quickly playing catch up that's a nice little tidbit there i like that let's talk a little bit since we started talking about the legislature we should talk a little bit about property management because the legislature's had dramatic effect on property management over the last five years or so and um and and i know you're involved with that as well um uh, but they're they're basically you know nevada's been known for a long time as a landlord-friendly state. Um, but that's kind of, it's it, that strength has been shifting a little bit, has it not? 
Uh, it's kind of been shifting a lot over the last several <laughs> legislative sessions. It has so indeed. When I got here in 2004, for no, for non-payment of rent, uh, took us about 30 days or so to uh, get rid of a tenant that right. didn't see the value in paying the rent. Today, you're lucky if you get a court date. Last time I was in court, took us a good five months just to wow. get a court date. Yeah. Uh, I'm told from some folks that have gone to court recently that they've been able to get a court date in about two months. Okay. So, yeah. And I think, you know, that's a, that's really a, it's a residual effect from, from the pandemic because the legislator legislation basically saw fit to basically grant, you know, immunity to tenants to a certain extent, not entirely, but just basically give them a, a pass on paying rent for a while. And they, and some people got used to that. Got used to the idea that rent, yeah, I could pay it or not, you know. Now we're back to normal, pretty much normal times. You don't have that same protection any longer. And, and yet some tenants still feel they have it and they're taking advantage of it, but they're ending up getting evicted. So the last couple times I've been to rent court, the judges today, we had uh, Assembly Bill 486 on the books, which basically tied the hands of judges to the point where if someone said, I'm trying to get some relief and, and some assistance, well, hey, uh, it was tough luck for the landlord. Right. Uh, today, that AB 486 sunset back in June of this year, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I think folks are coming to the realization that Maybe the best thing they have is where they are than trying to figure out where they're going to go from there. Right. So. I, I think that's a great point. And that's, again, that's part of that residual effect from, the, from COVID and the legislation that was imparted upon us. They also changed the rules about late fees, you know, um, sometime back and basically fixed the amount of late fees that could be charged. That changed the way landlords looked at rent structures, too. I think that had a dramatic impact on rents. So we used to charge a late fee and uh, what we called a per diem, a daily charge. Right. And there were tenants that were paying more in late fees <coughs> and per diem than yeah. in yeah. their base rent. Yeah. And to make things right, because they knew the judges were strict, and if they didn't catch up, they'd be tossed out of the property. Right. And as a property manager, you have your fiduciary duty to your client and mm. Of course, we have duties to everybody in a transaction. We don't want anybody getting displaced. But right. at, at the end of the day, when your duty is to your client, hey, uh, they're the ones paying your bills. They're the ones that are needing to get the rent flowing in so they can pay their mortgage. Right. And, you know, uh, if, if they don't, then they're being displaced. And Indeed. You know, the mortgage company is not giving them a break. They're charging a per diem. So that, that became a problem. Hey, listen, we're coming up on the bottom of the hour. We're going to run a few more commercials. We're going to come back. we got a lot more to talk with Matthew about, guys. So stay tuned. We'll be back in just a moment. Very good. You can tell you're a teacher because, like, if you say a term, you're like, it's also known as this. You can tell. Yeah. <laughs> and it's good because, like, we forget because we're used to the terms. So it's good to use these stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Shelly used to... Get, yes. get me on all the acronyms. I used to, I mean, I just blurred out a bunch of acronyms. She said, well, we need to tell them what she that means. She would say, like, SRPD and stuff like this. And she's like, what is an SRPD? Yeah, she used to do that to me all the time, that was, yeah. which is good. You know, yeah. we need to clarify the, the mm-hmm. all that stuff, which is great. No, Matthew, you have um, um, a calm demeanor. Very calm. Which is great, which is awesome. And and uh, you're right on top of this stuff. You're doing great. Thank you. <clears throat> Let's see. 
We could talk about multiple representation, or I'll tell you what, let's go into one of my topics first, and then maybe we'll come back to that. I'm going to go into uh, this article about 2008. Honestly, I'm not a huge fan of multiple representation, agents engaging on both sides. I, I understand, and, yeah. and I can tell you that, that I'm not either, but I have done it, and when it's served my client, I've done it. And if it serves my client, I'm going to do it. But I agree. Um, it's funny. Um, when I when I make a presentation to a seller and I do a listing package, and we start doing, I have them sign a uh, consent to act at the listing, and I do it. I do it with the idea. Look, you're, it's not going to be a secret if I'm representing the other side, but I want you to know in advance it's a possibility. And so, um, what I say to my sellers is this: is that I think that that you need to understand that I will never, I never ask my sellers a bottom line. I don't want to know it. I don't want to know what your bottom line is, Mr. Mrs. Seller. Other agents are always go right to that. I don't, I don't want to know. I want to get as much as I can. So don't say a number, Harvey, we don't get this. You know, I don't want to hear that number. Keep it in your head. It's there. I understand it. I don't want to know about it. And I would never ask a buyer either. What's the most you're willing to pay? I don't, I'm not going to do that. We're just trying to make, you know, if I end up doing both sides of a transaction, which is very, I can count on my hand a number of times I've actually done it. But if I do, it's just, you know, I'm just trying to bring them together. And what I jokingly say, half jokingly, half serious to my sellers, at least we know we got a decent agent on the other side. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's what, so, uh, so I have done it. I, I, I don't seek to do it, but I have done it in the right, under the right circumstances. Anyway, having said that, let's go into segment three. Here we go. Can I scoot back? Yeah. Is just, that all right? Just as long as we hear you. <clears throat> yep. Hello, hello. There he is. Is that good? He's good. Okay. <coughs> All right, segment three. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Harvey Blankfeld. You're listening to Las Vegas Real Estate Now. We're here every Saturday at 11 a.m. You ever have a question or an idea for our program, please call or text me at 702-203-1165. Again, that's 702-203-1165. With me now in studio with Matthew Kyle from CE by Matthew. Um, before the break, we were talking uh, you know, a little bit about some of the challenges with, with property management and how it's changed a bit. Uh, Matthew, I'm going to read you. An, uh, I, I like to clip articles from the local paper, and, and this this past week I found this one written by Patrick Blennerhast from the RJ uh, Las Vegas Review Journal, um, and the headline is, and and this you know me headlines guys, you know how I am about this. Las Vegas real estate on pace to have worst year since 2008. Oh my goodness. Um, okay, so what what he's really saying is is that. You should, he's not telling people, don't buy or sell. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is that our volume is way down. That the, the volume, the number of buyers and sellers, the number of tr- closed transactions is way down, from the, from, particularly from the last few years when it was like record-setting. Two years ago, we, I think we broke the records for the most transactions. And now we're going to probably have the worst year in terms of number of transactions in the last decade, at least. And, but here's the thing I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to take from this. Yes, volume is down. Why is volume down? Well, volume is down because interest rates are more than double what they were two years ago. And buyers don't have the same buying power. And they're hankering and wanting to have that same buying power. And they don't have it. Um, And then sellers, there's lots of sellers out there who are sitting on a mortgage with 3%. And they don't see the value in selling the home, even though it might make their life a little bit better with a bigger or smaller or closer or further home, whatever it is. It's tough to give up that three percent mortgage, and so that's what you've got. You got sellers reluctant to come to market. You got buyers reluctant to buy. So that's diminished market. Is that is that the way you see it, Matthew? 
So to put this into perspective, and I, I spend a lot of time just mulling this over in, in my mind. Uh-huh. 2008, if we were to dial things back to when our market crashed, I mean, 2008, it was not happy times for a lot of folks. Brutal. Uh, 2000, if we then go four years beyond that, 2012, Mm -hmm. our median resale price point on single family homes, Harvey, you know what that number is? It's like 140. $118,000. $118,000. I mean, who's yeah. not kicking themselves today yeah. by not buying should, you know, yeah. several? I should have bought you know, all of Summerlin at that point. Uh, <laughs> you, you and me both. Uh, today, our median resale price point, uh, $450,000. Yeah. And actually, everything is geographic specific. So right. what is true for Summerlin is not necessarily true for Henderson or true <laughs> for the northeast or the south south southeast or southwest right everything is location specific so i can't think of another town that i would want to be in aside from vegas right now with everything coming to this uh city and i think we're very blessed and i think when the whole economic debacle is sorted out eventually Mm -hmm. it will be yes um Nothing goes down forever. Nothing goes up forever. Right. And I think we are going to soar uh, to some to some new highs. I, you know what you said it very you said it very well, very succinctly. I love I love that perspective. It's really what I'm seeing too. I don't see. Look, first of all, comparing this to 2008 is I understand numbers are the volume is down, but here's what's not happening. You don't have people out there owning homes they shouldn't own. Everyone's been thoroughly vetted by their lender it's actually nevada law that they be thoroughly vetted by their lender no one owns a home that shouldn't be able to afford it financially that's that and that's from the last 15 years you know that's that's the way it's been so it's not the same market as 2008 when people you know could could sign a piece of paper buy five homes and and not have to worry about whether they made enough money to afford them that's not where we are so the vast majority of of homeowners who live in their homes can easily afford it unless you know things happen we understand that you know financial hardship comes about and therefore some people will struggle we understand that but that's not the case for the vast majority of our our homeowners right now and there's a lot of investors still in our market who own a lot of homes and and they're doing very well and they're very pleased with what they're getting what i think it's important to point out that that difference this is not and and i don't believe he's saying that in the article in any way stretch or form he's not saying oh my goodness, we're in for a hard time going forward. I think he's just saying, look, the volume's way off. And, and it's true. We, we, we can see that. As a realtor, I can tell you that, that we, that's evident to us. Um, I also think it's evident that when interest rates do come down, even a little bit, a lot of the buyers who are sitting on the sidelines waiting for that to happen are going to jump in. And when that happens, I fear, I honestly fear that pricing will go up pretty dramatically it, it's a scary thought i don't want look i like stable you know it, we we have always said matthew this is one thing we've said on the show you maybe you'll appreciate this if we could choose an appreciation rate we would choose like three to five percent every year and we'd be happy with that let's not let's let's decide that the real estate market's always going to appreciate by three to five percent every year could we do we can't do that obviously we can't choose an appreciation rate that's a silly concept but if we could that's what we would do nobody really wants to see a jump of 10 percent and a decline of eight and a jump of 14 and a decline of you know six and we don't, nobody wants that we really what we'd love to see is the constant steady growth 
But interestingly enough, if you take if you take a, a, a look at the median price of housing in Los that's basically what it does over time, over the long period. It still appreciates 3 to 5%. That's what happens. Absolutely. We are not the stock market where you want to jump in on Monday <laughs> and sell your position on Friday and keep your fingers crossed that you're going to make a profit. I think if you play it smart and you're picking up real estate, because, look, even if you're renting something, uh, you don't know what's going to happen to your rent come the end of the year when it has to reset. Yeah. And you may find yourself in a situation where, oh, my gosh, maybe maybe having bought that house would have made a little more sense because now you control your own destiny. Right. So. Yeah, we talk about, what, that's a great perspective. We talk about rent. We say with rent, you're paying 100% interest because you get no no equitable value at all from paying rent. And you're paying someone else's mortgage for them. So, yes, if you making that, look, you guys have heard me say this all the time. That first buy is the hardest. That's the one where you got to write the check. After that, you're just using equity in your house to buy a bigger house or a smaller house or whatever. But that first one's the hardest one. But you got to do it. You got to jump in and buy one. Uh, because for your personal financial future, it's the best thing you can do for yourself. You got to live somewhere. You might as well be in your own home. Um, and and I just I just hate the fact that the the housing scare of the mid two thousands turned a lot of people off of buying real estate and and owning their own home. It's not to me. I don't know, you know, Matt. When we were growing up, it was the it was the maybe the central point of the American dream to have home ownership. Now it's kind of like that afterthought. And it's not as important, and I, that's disappointing to me. Um, and the other thing I say about that is, is that when, when we talk about investors, I think it's important to know that investors are an important part of real estate, real estate, residential real estate market. They're an important part because they help protect the bottom. And 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 in 2012, they were out there buying up houses when no one else was, and they did very very well. Good for them. But I don't want to see real estate turned into a commodity. Residential real estate should not be turned into a commodity where people are looking to purely to buy and sell because that big companies, Wall Street, will jump in and they'll take advantage of that. And then the little guy won't have an opportunity. And that's a shame. I think if you play it smart and like you said, you always need a place to stay. You might as well be in control of your own destiny. You look at everything that is unfolding here in, in, in the Las Vegas area. Uh, everything from... We are almost uh, maxed out as far as uh, airport capacity over at um, um, Harry Reid. Yeah. I want to say McCarran all the time, too. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they just bought some additional land. I saw that. Yeah. Near, near the airport there, which is nice to see. Yep. Uh, even things like Formula One racing that's coming <sighs> here to town. As much as people complain about all the traffic, trying to get you know to the other side of the strip yeah that is going to be very good for the economy indeed Indeed. fountain blue opening this year right um station casino opening durango their hotel yep Uh, that fountain blue actually is the largest hotel under construction in the united states right now yep so nice to see that nice opening in our backyard school of medicine we are just beyond simply gaming out here Yep, I think that's great. The diversification of our economy has been hugely impactful. And, hey, we're coming up on another break. We're in a few more commercials. We've got one more segment we want to talk to you about so much more. So stay tuned. We'll be back in just a moment. Fountain Blue. 
you do this once a week, mm-hmm. do you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we record every we record every Wednesday. Once a quarter, I I do a live show, so I'll do yeah. a, I'll do a live show on Saturday. I, I I think recording in advance is smart because. People do like to call in sometimes, not that often, but they do call in. But usually, the people that call in are not—they're um, not adding much to the content. They're usually—it's—and sometimes they are. Sometimes the stories are amazing, but sometimes it's just—you know—they just like hearing themselves on the radio. And 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 for me, you know, I don't mind that so much. But I think it's—we we get more content out doing it this way. Sure. All right, segment four. Here we go. <clears throat> Segment four. <clears throat> Welcome back. I'm Harvey Blankfeld. You're listening to Las Vegas Real Estate Now. We're here every Saturday at 11 a.m. You ever have a question or an idea for the program, please call or text me at 702-203-1165. Again, that's 702-203-1165. With me now in studio, we have Matthew Cal from CE by Matthew. And what Matthew does is, again, he offers classes for us real estate agents here in Nevada to help us renew our licenses and actually even educate us a little bit, too, on top of that. You know, I mean, it's nice to get the CE uh, so we can uh, fulfill our requirements of the state. But really, the best part about these classes is we actually learn things <laughs> and, and, and hopefully get better at what we do. You know, uh, Matthew, I, I sit on the uh, grievance committee here at, at the local board. And this past week, um, they had our annual training. And that's you'll appreciate this. That's um, that's eight hours of of training on ethics. And. You know, I'd like to think I'm an ethical person, and when we have these discussions in these classes, they, they really dig deep into the, the whole element of, of ethics and, and why it's so important for us as realtors to maintain that, uh, that code of ethics. And I think it's important for me to point out periodically every now and then the difference between an investor, a real estate agent, and a realtor. You know, an investor is out there seeking advantage for themselves. I mean... When we talk to some of these big eye buyers, these big companies, they're they're not buying your home to maximize your profit. They're buying their home to maximize their own. And so when they come and make you an offer, and you're gonna, here's a great little story for you, Matthew. I had a client recently. This is recently. One of those eye buyers reached out to him. And we were about to start listing his property. He said, "Harb, I just got an offer from this company, and they're offering me." And the house I listed the house. I can tell you, we listed around three fifty. We ended up getting about list price for it. This company offered him three seventy nine, cash, quick close. Except it really wasn't cash. Here's what it was: they were going to give him uh, uh, ten thousand dollars down, and ask him to carry the paper at one percent with a ten year balloon. So basically, in a market where lenders are getting 7%, he was going to only have to pay 1%, and he was going to be able to actually lease the property out for a period of time and make a ton of money while my seller is saying, oh, look, I got $25,000 more than I, than I would have had Harvey sold it, is going to end up carrying paper that's going to cost him a fortune over the next 10 years. So he, he was smart enough to realize this was kind of a hoax. And when you see these guys advertising, honestly, when I see them advertising, I'm going to pay you more than anybody else. You got to look at that gift horse in the mouth, guys. You just got to, you know, do the math. That's all I'm going to say. Just do the math. Anyway, I know you want to talk a little bit about multiple representation, and that's an issue that that here in Nevada, the law provides that as an agent, properly disclosed, we can, in fact, represent both buyers and sellers in the same transaction. But I know that you have an aversion to that, Matthew. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the idea of multiple representation. Sure. So, 
Imagine putting yourself in a situation where you've got that, what we call the inherent conflict of interest. <laughs> and what does that mean? I take Carly's listing, and she's expecting me to get her the most amount for that property. And then I find Harvey, who uh, wants to buy a property, but wants to pay the least amount for that property. Well, <coughs> how do I effectively represent my seller and my buyer so that everybody walks away happy Mm -hmm. and god forbid if i knew harvey for a week or two longer than i knew carly well then uh it's too easy for someone to say hey you know them (laughs) yeah longer than me and uh, you you didn't fight us hard yeah so yeah the inherent conflict of interest is 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 dramatic no doubt and 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 it's and it's and it's why I think the state of Nevada says, hey, you have to disclose this. Make sure that your, your clients know that you're, in fact, trying to represent both sides in a transaction. And in most cases, you know, and I can count on my hand, like I, I just told you before the program, I can count on my hand a number of times that I've actually done that. And I have done it a few times. Um, I'll only do it when I feel like I can serve my client best and not harm the buyer. You know, in a market where the price is almost predetermined, almost, not and never, it's never predetermined, but, but in a market when houses are selling quickly or, uh, we know where it's going to land, and it's an important thing. Sometimes it's it's best to do that. However, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And when I get called, here's what happens to me, Matthew. Maybe you've gotten these calls when you've had listings. You get a call from a buyer saying, hey, are you the listing agent? Yes, I'm the listing agent. Would you be willing to sell me that home and then and then work with me on your commission? And my response to that person is always the same. Is my fiduciary responsibility to my seller. And so... There are other agents, I'm sure, who will be happy to do that. They've done it before. I know they have. But my, my explanation, and I know I don't get business by doing this. I know that I'm basically turning that person off because they're looking for a deal somehow where I'm going to give them a, a break. But that, that break has to come between me and my seller. That's between me and my seller. It's not between me and the buyer in this case. And so when they reach out to me that way, I generally don't choose not to work with those types of people. Um, and I don't know if you've had that same experience as a listing agent. There are folks out there for one reason or another that want to circumvent the agent and go right to that listing agent, mm-hmm. not have their own representation in hopes that they get a better uh, outcome right. when they end up uh, closing on that property. <coughs> Many a times when you have your own representation and you keep things more at an arm's length transaction, well then you've got just as good a shot, probably even better, of better. negotiating mm-hmm. uh a much better deal because now you're negotiating agent to agent Mm -hmm. uh, and as opposed to the novice negotiator or buyer out there who not quite sure what they're asking for but they know they'd like to save some money and same thing why some of these buyers then after they hire an agent to list their home get it sold they're walking into new home construction by themselves unaccompanied yeah Maybe thinking that the person behind the desk has two separate rate sheets, and <laughs> uh, I don't see an agent. I'll pull out the cheaper of the two. Right, it's, it's one rate sheet. That's and, right. And a good agent can make sure that you are well protected and yep. get a good deal at the end of the day. I love that analogy, and you know we do a lot of home, uh, new home sales, and we love doing new home sales. Um, and I think it's important for. Uh, clients to understand the the representation they get from a buyer's agent when they're buying a new home i think is critical you know I, I'm, I'm obviously i've got an axe to grind here but i think it's critical because 
we may know of certain incentives that are being offered or about to be offered that they may not be aware of and or we can help them through the process you know I've helped a lot of new home buyers buy homes. It doesn't cost them any, I mean, you know, it doesn't cost them any more money. What it does is it gives them absolute representation. And sometimes, and I go with my buyers, first of all, I go with them to the design center. I don't go with them to the design center to pick out my favorite granite color. I go with them to the design center to help them decide what, where's value, uh, what, what value there. Because my intention is when they're ready to sell this home, I'm going to help them sell it. And so I'm, I'm basically looking at just the value of what they're looking to choose. And that doesn't mean they should choose something differently. They should choose what they want. Pick your favorite things. I'm just going to say, gee, I don't think gold-plated socket covers is going to get you a whole lot of money when we go to resell this house. I just don't think it is. I'm not sure it's a good idea. But if that's what you want, by all means, make yourself happy. But I just want you to understand the value of that investment may not get you a good return. That's all. And that's just one thing that we can do for a new home buyer. The other thing, uh, the other thing and I want to point this out before I... I, is that when we do the walkthrough on a new home, the walkthrough on a new home is different than a walkthrough on a resale. The walkthrough on a new home is very scrutinous. And a lot of buyers are just too excited and don't decide to be as scrutinous as they could or should be. And me being there with them, I will be. I'm going to make sure, and a lot of builders don't like it when I do that, but I'm going to make sure that every tile that's been set is set. I'm going to make sure that the walls, there's no, we call them wall boogers. I don't know if, can I say that on the radio? Wall boogers. Um, when they have the bad texture on the wall, those things. we're going to go around and make sure the house is absolutely pristine because actually that's what the, the home builder wants. They want to deliver a pristine product. We want to make sure we help them do that. Similar experience for you, Matthew? So being in property management, Harvey, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I have a pretty discerning eye when it comes to <laughs> yes. things looking right. right. Obviously, we're not licensed <laughs> home inspectors and no. we have limitations. Right. And I always recommend that even on new construction, you spring for the few extra hundred dollars that it's going to cost you to bring in your own inspector to check things out. Brilliant. They can go up into the attic. They can see if there's broken trusses. They can see if you're getting all that additional insulation that you paid for. <laughs> you and I aren't going to be climbing no. a ladder. Nope. Um, Not doing and, that. And, and checking <laughs> that out. Uh, I don't have a way of measuring the uh, output from the HVAC system <laughs> right. and if the differentials are in order. And that's the value that, that they bring. Yep. And many a times I'll recommend, hey, come on back. Now that you've done uh, an inspection, come back at the final walkthrough and make sure everything is as yep. right as possible because that is so, so important. Yep. I like to recommend that they hire a home inspector at 10 or 11 months so that they can have that report as their punch list to the builder before their warranties are up. Listen, uh, Matthew, it's been a treat having you on the program. You've been excellent. I, I love your perspective. What a fun real estate hour we've had. I want to thank Mark, our production director. Carly, again, great job. I must also thank our outstanding contributor today, that being Matthew Cow from CE by Matthew. You've been listening to Las Vegas Real Estate Now. I'm your host, Harvey Blankfeld. Next week, We'll have another fantastic hour for you. Our guests are going to be Rick Senemy and Steve Kitnick. Uh, if you ever have a question about real estate or any of the other topics we cover, just call me off air or text me at 702-203-1165. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, LV Real Estate Radio. Like and follow us on social media at LV Real Estate Radio. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us this week. Remember, while we seek to educate, empower, and engage with you, we want you to learn, understand, then act. We'll meet you on the radio next Saturday at 11 a.m. right here on 101.5 KDON.